and welcome to episode 68 of Lime Ninja Radio. This is lesson two of our four-part masterclass on nutrition and brain health. The first lesson was an introduction to bone broth and how it should be the foundation for healing your gut, reducing inflammation, and boosting your immune system. So if you haven't listened to lesson one yet and you like to do things in order, you will want to go back and start at the beginning. And that's episode 67 with R.N. Resnick. She's the bone broth expert and wrote The Bone Broth Miracle. Great book. You can find episode 67 on iTunes or you can go to our website at www.limeninjaradio.com. I also want to welcome aboard a new sponsor, my friend and mentor, Greg Lee. Greg is a Lime expert and he runs the goodbylime.com website and his Lime acupuncture practice is based in Frederick, Maryland. And if you ever wish that your Lyme literate practitioner knew more about alternative treatments, I've got good news. Greg has a training coming up. You know, over the past 17 years, I've been working with hundreds of Lyme patients, and many of them, 80% of my patients are on antibiotics. I've got 20 Lyme literate doctors in my area, and I see patients from all of them. And they've tried Buner, they've tried Cowden, they've tried Marshall, they've tried Zang, Uh, they've, you know, They've got their own rife machines, and many of these people are still sick, are still struggling, and they have recurring symptoms. And to me, it's uh, they've done the protocols, and they need something much more customized, much more targeted. So that gives you a flavor of what Greg will be offering. And he's put all the information about the training at a easy to remember a web address for your practitioner. So send them over to goodbylime.com front slash Lime Ninja. Again, that's goodbylime.com front slash Lime Ninja. And they can learn all about Greg's training there. Our expert for this lesson of the masterclass is Karen Diggs. She's a certified nutrition consultant and therapeutic chef. She's also the inventor of the crowdsource. And I have two of those crowdsource gadgets, and they're just wonderful. They're perfect for making fermented foods. After graduating from the California Culinary Academy, boy, that's a mouthful, Karen got on a jet and flew to Hong Kong, and there she worked as a chef, and she also opened two eateries, and that's a massive city of 7 million people all jammed into 426 square miles. In 2004, while she was washing dishes in her kitchen, Karen had an epiphany. And it went something like this. Wow, maybe it's a good idea to combine nutrition with cooking. Brainwave. After all, didn't somebody say a long time ago, let food be thy medicine? But that's Hippocrates, by the way. So Karen went back to school and obtained her certification as a nutrition consultant at the Bauman College. Now Karen manages her deep, innate culinary skills with her knowledge <clears throat> Excuse me, of holistic nutrition. And she helps individuals achieve optimal health through detoxification and weight loss workshop. And her current focus is on fermentation and fermented foods. You're going to love this episode. Here's Karen Diggs, inventor of the Krautsource and fermentation expert. Thank you very much for reaching out and um, you know scheduling uh, this podcast. And it's really good to meet you, even if it's only over the phone. Yes, it is. And I'm... Yeah. I have been following 
Weston Price Foundation and their writings for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they talk about the importance of, of fermented foods as, as every traditional diet had their versions of fermented foods. So I've, right. tr- I've tried a few on my own, you know, f- mm-hmm. from time to time. And actually the, the crepe daughter is trying pickled plums. Pickled plums. You know, I have a jar of it sitting in my refrigerator right now. Right. And it's delicious. They were these little green plums that a friend had given me. Um, and I'm just astounded by the, the texture changes. And the brine is very flavorful. You can just sort of take shots of it. <laughs> <laughs> I added ginger and um, cardamom to the oh. fermentation. Yeah. I'm not sure if she, I'll have to ask her if she added anything. We have a couple, we're in central New York. The climate gets quite nasty in the winter time. Okay. Uh, the rest of the time it's fairly temperate. Uh, okay. And so we have a hardy plum also. They're quite, they're quite small. And mm-hmm. she picked them somewhere in between. They were halfway ripe. So it'll be interesting okay. to see what the flavor's yeah. like. Right. I mean, I, I think uh, most fruits, if, if it, you know, if it's not uh, very sugary, like a pineapple or mm-hmm. a, a mango, say, they, they ferment pretty well in, in brine. And um, I'm oftentimes surprised at the flavor that develops. So can you pickle anything? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> you can pickle anything, just like, uh, what is that show that had that little episode? Um, Portlandia. Did you see that little episode on Portlandia? No, I missed it. It's a skit they do. Actually, I don't watch the show, but a friend sent this thing to me, and they did a skit on you can pickle every anything, and it's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> you can pickle, um, or I guess rightly put, you can ferment or lacto-ferment anything. Anything. <laughs> yeah. we, we lived in Little Italy in Baltimore before we moved up here, and there was an old-fashioned oh, okay. corner store. Actually, the, the man, Mr. Muggs, ran a little gambling numbers thing out of his hmm. phone booth in here, and as cover was, <laughs> he sold sandwiches. Okay. And on his on his counter, he had the jar of pickled eggs and pickled uh-huh. pig's feet, and I think pickled beets. And I never wow. had the gumption to have him reach into the pickle jar and and get something yeah. for me. But yeah. but they yeah. did. He did get new ones from time to time. So somebody was eating them. Okay, and and people were not dying left and right. So you know that it was okay. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, you can pickle anything. Yeah. Now, yeah. One question I have about fermentation, we'll get into the nitty-gritty about the the health for the gut and, and, and the nutrition side of things, which is what I'm interested in having people hear about. But before we yes. get there, I'm dying to know, Does and you may not know the answer to this, does the variety of bacteria change based on the source of let's just say the cabbage for for sauerkraut. So if I get it, if I have growing cabbage in my backyard, will it have a slightly different uh, bacterial signature than if I go to the farmer's market and buy their cabbage? Or by the time things are fermented, is it all the same? Right, you know, and and that's a really great question. Um, But I just wanna backtrack a little bit to the term pickled and pickling and things that are pickled. Okay. Um, people get confused because there's there are pickles that you can buy um, which has vinegar in it. And like the pickled pig's feet that you saw definitely would have had 
um, a vinegar in okay. it. So when something is in vinegar, it you know there is the term pickled. So pickled pig's feet, pickled cucumber, pickled radishes, whatnot. Um, and then when something has been fermented and then the brine turns acidic, that can also be considered, you know, a pickle flavor. Okay. And then to contribute to the confusion, then we have pickles, you know, made from cucumbers. Yes. <laughs> and there are cucumbers that are pickled naturally, as in lactic fermentation. Mm-hmm. So that's only using brine and, you know, uh, time and temperature to turn that brine into an acidic medium to preserve the cucumbers, which then turn into pickles. Right. But then the other way of making pickles is you can just do it the quick way, adding vinegar. Okay. So when you add in vinegar, the pH in the vinegar will not allow the natural fermentation to happen. I wondered about that. So if I'm yeah. buying pickles in the store, they don't have any bacteria in them. It depends. If it, if it says specifically on the label, you know, live cultured mm. pickles, uh, and there is no vinegar in it, then... It probably has a lot of uh, probiotics in it. But if there's vinegar in it, and oftentimes they also add sugar, because people think that everybody likes a sugary kind of yep. uh, taste, then um, then probably not. And also if it has been pasteurized, then of course there wouldn't be any um, good bacteria in it. Yeah, what's the point of fermenting something and then pasteurizing it afterwards? I just don't... Just don't that's understand. I know it lasts it on the shelf. shelves forever, but right, exactly, yeah. and that's really basically it to keep it shelf stable. Uh, one that will last forever, and second that it won't explode. <laughs> because if something's fermenting, the CO two, you know, it's a live product. It, it can is. do strange things, yeah. like explode. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then to answer your question about the um, if there's a difference in terms of microbes of different vegetables coming from different soil. So I can't say uh, to the different types of microorganisms that are on vegetables, but in particular to lactic acid. Um, Lactic acid is inherent in all um, vegetables and fruit and also dairy products. And so it's really the lactic acid that drives the fermentation process when we mix sauerkraut or what I call, you know, real pickles without Mm -hmm. the, uh, the vinegar and then, you know, other vegetables that you can ferment. And it really um, relies on um, having a salt brine, the temperature, and also having an anaerobic environment. So it's very important that oxygen does not get into the fermentation. Yeah, I had that happen to a batch of sauerkraut once. Right. It was not pleasant. Yeah, and it turns, yeah, oh, it turns awful. a little funky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the technical term for yes. It's like, quick, get that stuff out of the house yeah. now. Funky, smelly, yuck. <laughs> yeah, slimy too, right. Yeah. Biofilm. So, so there, are, there are stages of, um, of different microbes coming into play that would make a good fermentation. Um, and I don't know if you want me to actually go into them, but there are different stages depending on um, how well you, you, know, you keep that environment. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as you know, all of the papers that I've read and you know, personal experience through many years, it does go through a very specific stage where one family of bacteria will start proliferating and then they'll give way to another family and then another family and then at the end of like three or four stages you get this perfectly fermented product that is very shelf stable uh, which can then be kept in the refrigerator 
And so I guess the big picture is that, yes, all vegetables and fruit will produce the same uh, family of bacteria given the right conditions. Okay. And then as to the other microbes, um, they die off when the environment is acidic enough so that the lactobacillus um, bacteria can, um, the lactobacillus bacteria can, you know, sort of uh, take over the fermentation. Yeah. And how, this is another technical question. I probably should be talking to a microbiologist. How, how many different variations of the lactobacilli are there? There's at least three or four. I mean, there's probably more, but in terms of uh, the lacto-fermentation, there's, there's like between, I would say between four to six that <laughs> usually takes place. And then how about in something like kefir? Because that doesn't have like 21 different strains or 18, depending right, on... Right, so the kefir, uh, yeah, is also dependent on, you know, the, the lactic acid to kickstart that fermentation. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, right, there'll be different strains that come into play. Um, and then it's it's kind of confusing because now that we you know everybody probiotic is a hot uh, product to have um, in food products. Yes. So because you know food scientists can do that, they'll introduce strains into uh, let's say a supplement or okay. a yogurt that would not necessarily have produced that naturally. Right. But they just feel like well you know if we can boast that this has 20 strains, it sounds better and we can sell it you know for at a higher cost. Yes, that makes total yeah. sense. Now, yeah. so let's back up. Now, what do these bacteria from fermented foods do for us? Um, wow, you know, they it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. When, when I started fermenting, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, all I knew was that, well, you know, I've been told that it's good for your, for your health and, you know, our ancestors have been doing it, as you know from the work of Weston A. Price and Sally Fallon. Um, and plus it tastes good. And so <laughs> I was just doing it because, you know, I just know, okay, it's good for your health. Uh, it's an ancient art, and I'm a chef, and this is great. But as I, you know, developed as a fermenter and I started researching and, and also being a nutritionist, you know, I, I follow a lot of the current studies. What's really mind-blowing is that now, you know, the buzzword is microbiome and mm-hmm. you know, microbiota and that we're actually not... We're actually an ecosystem unto ourselves, um, and we have trillions of bacteria. Uh, there's actually more foreign DNA in terms of uh, microbes in us than there are human DNA. Right. So all of that is so fascinating, and I think what it really does is, it. I think in the big picture, eating fermented foods help to balance our own ecosystem. But the first thing that I had learned is that it helps digestion. And as you know, um, as an acupuncturist and most traditional healers, everything starts in the gut. Yes, so it does. So that's the number one thing. Yeah, fermented foods really help digestion. It helps uh, the process of digestion. It helps detoxification. And it also helps us to, um, uh, to have energy. And, and what's really interesting, too, I think, you know, in terms of Lyme disease, I know, I know you have a lot of listeners and um, patients who suffer from that. Mm-hmm. One of the main problems is energy. You know? Yes. Uh, how do you get enough energy to just get out of bed um, and to just go through the day? So the fascinating thing about um, fermented vegetables is that it helps 
uh, the digestion, and then it also helps specifically to um, pull iron from foods that contain iron. It makes it bioavailable to us. And when we can properly utilize iron, then you know the red blood cell can, can carry oxygen through the body. And that really drives the pathway uh, to have energy throughout the day. I mean, people who are anemic, I was, I was also anemic, and um, you know, I didn't know until I did a blood test, and I realized, oh, well, that's why I'm anemic. Right. <laughs> and then when I, when I really worked very diligently at improving my digestion and making sure that I have B12 and all of that, um, my energy level just really improved and stabilized. So, so the yeah, the bacteria so the bacteria help break down the iron that's already there and make it bioavailable so it can be transferred bioavailable through. Bioavailable for us, yeah. right? Yeah. And here's another question, technically on the 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 bacteria that you're getting with with pickled foods with I'm sorry with fermented mm-hmm. foods is mm-hmm. is any of that colonizing the gut or is it just passing through? Uh, some of it will just pass through, and um, a lot of it will colonize, and that's how it's able to rebalance um, a bio system that's gone wrong. You know, dysbiosis, um, as we say, a good neighborhood gone wrong. Yes, <laughs> So exactly. if someone has, has candida or, um, you know, other um, harmful microbes that are out of balance, then eating um, fermented foods on a regular basis can rebalance that ecosystem. And so you just basically have more of the good guys. Uh, versus the bad guys. I mean, we need them all, mm-hmm. but we just need to have them in the proper balance and ratio. Yes, I like the idea of a neighborhood because it really is mm-hmm. it's a neighborhood. And they're the the bacteria that live on the other side of the tracks, and they need mm-hmm. to kind of stay over there. Right, and yeah, but if they're not there, then life would be very boring. <laughs> we, we need to have a balance. Exactly. Every once in a while, you um, need to cross the tracks, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or at least you need to know that there's a little bit of danger around, you know, to keep things lively. <laughs> um, but, but one thing I, I do want to share, um, so when I uh, was seeing uh, clients in my workshop, you know, I started, I was so enthusiastic about fermented foods, I would tell my um, my uh clients or participants to, to, oh, you know, eat sauerkraut is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of my clients, you know, they took me for, uh, for my word and they went to the store and bought a big jar of um, live culture sauerkraut. And you know, they ate a lot of it uh, oh. very quickly. Yes. And what that happened? That can be detrimental too because, you know, if, you're, if, if your gut is such that you have more of the bad bacteria, if you introduce something that has a lot of life cultures in suddenly, it could really upset everything. Yes. And then, um, you know, one client called me and she said, you know, I've been eating the sauerkraut for a week and I feel terrible. <laughs> I feel really bloated. And and so I said to her, I, I'm so sorry. You know, we, we, we chatted for a while. And at the end, she and I realized that she was eating a jar a day. Oh, my goodness. Right? She, she just thought, well, a little is good, more is better. Uh, and then so when I realized that, I, I, I told her, no, 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 you, you only eat about you know, a third to maximum half a cup with each meal. That way you build up um, your gut bacteria, the good gut bacteria. 
so, you don't want to inundate all at once. So if let's say, let's say that you you know your gut's in really really rough shape and that mm-hmm. y- right. you want to use fermented foods uh, in addition to maybe some probiotics you're taking or maybe mm-hmm. it's right. a cheaper way to replace a fifty dollar bottle of probiotics. How yeah. can you start with just like a tea? What should what's the safest way to begin? Because there's a lot of a lot of Lyme patients are so on the edge of their ability to detoxify that a yeah. little bit of that uh, kind of war that goes on between the good and bad in the gut and, and the die-off can throw them over the edge and have a pretty bad right. Herxheimer reaction. So yeah. can yeah. can you start yeah. with tiny, tiny amounts, and is that beneficial? Yeah, you or? can. I, I would start with just maybe a couple of tablespoons mm-hmm. of sauerkraut, you know, or if you're looking at, um, you know, live culture pickles, maybe just a quarter of a pickle, and you could even try a little bit of the, the kraut juice or the pickle juice, um, uh. maybe just a teaspoon. Um, it's also wonderful in a salad dressing. So, you know, if, if a Lyme uh, patient was, or if the family's cooking for he or she, they can make a salad with um, the kraut juice instead of the um, a vinegar, and the whole family can share it. Right. You know, so you can introduce it slowly like that, and then um, and then over time, then you can build up the amount that you take in every day. Great, thank you. And yeah. what type of things can you pickle? I mean, what well, are what you know, are? I I started off with just good old fashioned sauerkraut. You know, really traditional. Uh, just massage it with some sea salt, put some caraway seeds in. But now. Um, I have gone crazy. <laughs> you know, my, my website, I'm constantly posting new recipes, and people are going like, what? What, what did you do? So, um, you know, we just had our cherry season here uh, in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So I, I concocted a recipe using uh, cherries, um, uh, vanilla, cinnamon, pearl onions, and uh, cacao beans. And it's the most amazing fermentation. Uh, the the juice, the fermented juice from it is lovely. I add it to a cocktail. <laughs> and um, the the cherries fermenting with the pearl onions and all the other flavors, it's like this very um, rich flavor relish hmm. that you can put on a piece of chicken or, you know, if you're doing vegetarian, it, it's lovely on a piece of grilled tempeh. So that was my latest one. And then now I have some figs actually sitting in a brine solution that has star anise, um, also some pearl onions in it. And I think it's going to come out really good. But, but in terms of uh, vegetables, cauliflowers are excellent. They do really well. And because it's a cruciferous vegetable, you know, there's a lot of um, health benefits. You know, you don't want to eat raw cruciferous vegetables a lot because it can really damage your thyroid. But fermented um, it'll confer a lot of the benefits without the worry of uh, the Christopher's properties. Right. It breaks down um, some of those compounds. Yeah, it breaks down some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, asparagus are good. Carrots are really good. And, um, and I've done uh, even for, uh, forage things like um, purslane. Huh. And um, nettles are good, but you don't want to do a lot because it has a very strong flavor. So you could make some nettles with, let's say, cabbage. Uh, and also edible flowers, uh, calendula, and um, garlic chives, which are in season right now. That would be beautiful on top of everything else. Yes, 
Yes, yeah. Now, and so there's, it leaves a lot of room for being creative. Yes. The, the nettles are a traditional medicine for infections like Lyme disease, yes. and they're in some right. of the protocols. So that would be yes. interesting to see if that would add some extra oomph to the fermented. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really curious. Um, yeah, if, if one of your listeners are listening and they want to do it, I would say, you know, the mixture is, let's say if you're using one pound of cabbage, mm-hmm. then I would do maybe a, a quarter pound or less of nettles. But what happens during the fermentation is that the nettles, you know, has this incredibly brilliant color, I guess because it has so much um, chlorophyll in it. it. It turns like this insane sort of green blue color. Huh. Yeah, and that's the other fun part, too, you know, to watch the fermentation change over time. Um, I've had, you know, these purple carrots with fermenting with white, you know, cauliflower, and then the cauliflower turns pink, mm-hmm. and the carrot turns orange. It yeah. lost the purple hue. And, and so that's the fun part, too, is very um, artistic in that way. <laughs> Okay, and now let's let's talk about. So you've done something else that's very dear to my heart is you've invented and marketed and had manufactured a a beautiful, and it is beautiful little oh, gadget to do fermentation easily and on a small scale. Because my yeah. spectacular failures with per, excuse me fermentation was you know grind up in the food processor a couple heads of cabbage and get a big glass jar and try to weight it down and Mm -hmm. then it doesn't always weight down and peaks up above and then that's where I had the disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, I I learned the hard way too, just like you did. I I have um, about six to seven vessels that, you know, the traditional, I have the German crock, I have the Chinese ones, I have the American ones. Um, the ceramic crocks, and you do have to chop up uh, many pounds of cabbage to fit in one of them. Even the smaller crocks demand a lot of physical labor. And, yeah, once you've done that, you have to figure out a way to keep it submerged underneath the brine because that's really important. That That's part of the anaerobic environment. And then you want to cover it with something so that bugs don't fall in. And, and then after that, um, even if you have a successful fermentation, you still have to transfer it to... To containers, right. So it's a lot of work from beginning to end, and I've had many batches um, go bad, and you know you wasted all that energy and time and money and anticipation. Right. <laughs> and so I, um, I was looking at the German style and also Chinese style crocs where there's a moat on the top and you fill it with water, mm-hmm. and then you cap it with with something that looks like a bowl. And I thought, God, this is so brilliant. You know, who thought of this thousands of years ago? A ring of water acting as, you know, it's a moat. And you cap it, and it is anaerobic, and it's so elegant and beautiful. So I was literally, like, taking a shower, and I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if you could shrink this whole thing down to fit onto a mason jar? Um, Because as a chef, I recognize that people nowadays, they want little labor for a lot of reward. Right. And the single person or... Um, a small family group, they're not going to come together on a Sunday and chop 10 pounds of cabbage. Um, It's just not going to (laughs) happen. So I thought it would be great if we can shrink this whole idea to fit a mason jar. That way you can make it in a pint jar. You can make it in a quart jar. So that's how the idea came to me. So, you know, the device is called um, Crowdsource, and it's just stainless steel parts um, that fit onto a mason jar 
and it has the same principle. It keeps everything submerged because there's a press and a spring to create downward force. There's a little moat, and then there's a cap. Um, and the good thing is, since it's in a mason jar, it can sit on the counter, you know, away from direct sunlight, somewhere nice and cool, but you can actually see what's going on. And because the volume is smaller, the fermentation time is also less. So you don't have to wait, you know, weeks and weeks before the fermentation is properly done. So how long does fermentation at that scale take? Well, you know, uh, just taking traditional sauerkraut, when I was doing it in a big vat, I wouldn't even consider tasting it until at least about two weeks. But with a smaller volume, um, usually within about seven to ten days, it can be ready. But you can keep it longer if you like. Um, what is important, though, for the healthful lactobacilli bacteria to start proliferating, at least five days. At least five, okay. At least five, yeah. So if you had a couple jars, you could keep a rolling stock going. So one could Absolutely. be fermenting while you're just kind of yeah. spooning a little bit out of the other one. Right, right. And, um, and you know, I'm going to say this sounds like I'm trying to promote my own product, but what's really fun is I, if you well, have... Here's the secret is... The secret is I'm trying to promote... Jar, pardon me? Pardon? I'm trying to promote uh, sorry, your... Wait. I'm, okay. I'm in love with your device, so I'm trying to promote it. So the, okay, se the secret's you. out. You don't have to but, do it. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, um, the, fact, the, the point I'm trying to make is if you're doing it in a small batch, what's really good is, for instance, if you cut up three pounds of cabbage, mm -hmm. but if you, if you divide it into three mason jars, you could have three different flavorings. Ah. So one could be a traditional. One could, I love adding turmeric uh, into uh, the sauerkraut because turmeric, you know, as you know, is really good. It helps to detoxify. It really helps to calm inflammation. So, you know, I'll do a, uh, a mixture of uh, turmeric, cayenne pepper, and ginger. And then the last one, I'll just have fun with it. I've, I've fermented it with um, organic rose petals and um, vanilla. So you could do almost the same amount of work, but then have three different, um, different flavors so that you don't get sick of, you know, all the same flavor all the time. Right. The plain old sauerkraut day yeah. after day yeah. after day. Right. Now, yeah. can can you speak to, I mean, you take a, a probiotic and it'll say, you know, guaranteed, blah, 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 millions mm -hmm. of live. How, how right. much? Now, I've seen things posted different places that say, you know, a, a quarter cup of sauerkraut has a hundred times as many live cultures as anything you can get in a little pill. Is that, is that true? You know, I honestly cannot speak to that because I, I haven't uh, studied it or haven't read studies on it. I mean, I know that uh, conventional probiotics that you buy off the shelf, they'll say it has like 20 billion colony forming unit, you know, right, and right. they claim that, but how much of it is still live and viable when you actually ingest it? Um, we don't know. And how, how many, you know, there are many strains, uh, which we mentioned before, but, you know, not all strains are actually appropriate for everyone. And so in my experience, when I've, you know, suggested probiotics to, uh, to clients, uh, some will say, you know, I just don't really feel that good using it, although I've had it for months. And then I'll just say, well, maybe you need to try another one because maybe those particular strains don't really agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I feel with, with food... And it's food that ideally, if you bought it from your local farmer's market, 
um, or if you made it, you know, in your kitchen with your own hands, I like to think that, you know, the strains there are symbiotic to your environment and that it would be more um, in harmony with who you are as an ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a... That... But having, yeah, but, yeah, and I, I just feel like, you know, whatever is most natural uh, to your own environment is just better. How, um, how and not true? Look at, not look at the numbers so much. Okay. And yeah. have you ever had somebody who who couldn't handle a particular uh, fermented food? I just talked to somebody the other day who said, I just yeah. can't do sauerkraut. She said, I've tried, I tried, and tried, and it just... Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's very possible. And it could also be that, I don't know if she was using a store-bought one. No, she made her she own. making her own. Yeah, she made yeah. her own. So I think, you know... Anything is possible. I mean, when I studied nutrition, I had one professor who said, you know, anybody can be allergic to anything. That's true. So it could be. Maybe there's something with the sulfur that doesn't agree with her. Right. Um, you know, in my experience, some people, when their liver is very toxic, they actually don't do well with sulfuric foods, you know, like mm. garlic and onions yeah. and um, cruciferous vegetables. So it may be that. Maybe she could try to ferment something else, um, trying cucumbers that might be better and stay away from the cruciferous family right interesting um yeah the other thing like carrots and asparagus asparagus you know? yeah well the asparagus yeah. is a little bit isn't it that's true that's true yeah. yeah the i heard recently from a chiropractor that if you're having trouble with the cruciferous type vegetables sulfur containing vegetables including garlic and onions uh that some it could be a molybdenum deficiency mm. And oh, the the, the addition okay. of that can make those tolerable. So that. Oh, interesting. I, yeah, I haven't tried that out in my own practice yet. I'm kind of okay. curious to find right, somebody right. who just says, "Oh, I can't eat onions." Okay, try this now. Yeah, see if okay, you can eat this. onions. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's interesting. And then I think the other uh, fermented product that's very popular now is kombucha. Yes. And, and what I often, what is often people what, against kombucha? Oh, I mean, really? Why? Well, you know, it's not, um, it's very different, although it is a fermented live culture product, mm -hmm. it's a very different um, colony of um, bacteria as compared with sauerkraut. So the culture that starts kombucha is what is known as a SCOBY, S-C-O-B-Y, mm -hmm. and that stands for a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast. Okay. So it's a, it's a colony of these things that live together. Right. And they give you the kombucha product, um, you know, but it was really meant to be drunk as a tonic in small amounts, again, uh. with each meal to help digestion. But, you know, now with the popularity, people are drinking, you know, 8 ounces, 12 ounces, 16 ounces at a time. And that can, I think, upset your ecology. Yeah. Yeah. Again, so, back to the right. The, but similar to the woman who's eating the whole jar of sauerkraut. Right, right. I mean, a little bit of it consistently over time is good, but if you're drinking it like you would a soda, right. um, that's not good. Yes. Yeah, we kind of, we don't have that yin-yang idea as much, particularly in America. It's like you were saying, right. if, if a little is good, then more must be better. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I've also read in a very old um, sauerkraut, manual that and that's what the gentleman suggested he said you know the benefits of having sauerkraut and other fermented vegetables 
is that you eat it consistently in small amounts over time. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the gets to the five flavors. I was always interested as an acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. I, I was a little bit surprised. There were some major deficiencies in my teaching and a lack of understanding of how the world really works. And moving out to the country and living on a farm has really educated me. And so what they talked about in terms of sour foods, really, our our teachers, they talked about vinegar and they talked about lemon. But there was no mention of sour milk, sour kraut, sour. That is When it dawned on me, it's like, oh, my goodness, they're talking about fermented foods. And the flavor that is released, that's the sour flavor that the Chinese were talking about. Right, right, yeah. Um, You know, I mean, I I am Chinese, and I was born in Hong Kong, so I grew up eating a lot of strange fermented things. (laughs) Such as what? (laughs) Well, uh, you know, my mom used to make fermented tofu. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of trying truly fermented tofu. It's a very stinky proposition, very much like if you can think of the most smelly Roquefort cheese that you've ever come across. Okay. Multiply that by about 10 times more than mm-hmm. you have fermented tofu. Incredible. And is that yeah. <laughs> is that similar to tempeh or is tempeh different? No, uh, tempeh is very different. The, the fermented tofu that uh, I grew up with, it literally sort of has that texture of Roquefort cheese, even a little bit softer. Okay. So it was a condiment that you would spread on, um, you know, a steamed bun, or you would have a little bit of it with a bowl of rice. Okay. But like a little packed, a lot of flavor, <laughs> and incredibly uh, challenging on the taste buds. <laughs> Not for the faint of heart, huh? No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. So that sourness was really referring to fermented stuff. Right. And just so other people know that there are five flavors in mm-hmm. in Chinese cooking, and it's salty, sour, bitter, sweet. And here's the one I want to ask you about, actually, since I've got you here. This is just for my information. I hope I'm not okay. boring everybody else, but so <laughs> you're not boring me at all. the the flavor the flavor with the metal element is uh-huh. I think it's problematic. and it's it's kind of explained as, as, as savory or something like that. And they kind of, well, it's yeah. kind of like a spicy flavor. I, I'm suspicious if it isn't, if it isn't a flavor of fat. So what, what's your take on that, that fifth flavor there? You know, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I'm not so well versed in the, um, in the Chinese, the five flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, when you were mentioning that, I, I first thought of you know the term umami. It's kind of like that additional flavor that everyone is saying, oh yeah, that's the additional taste uh, profile on our tongue right. that we've missed all this time. Right, and that's yes, the, the sixth. Umami, right, the right, sixth flavor. Yeah, so the umami would be a kind of a um, amino acid uh, base fat kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if in the Chinese uh, paradigm, it's also referring to, to the fat or amino acid component of, of the taste. Yeah. It's, it was described to us as, as pungent. You know, as, pungent, as, as yeah. The I was going to say in Ayurveda uh, modality that they use that word pungent. Yes. And it's very important. Yes. And yeah. here, here's why I asked about the fat, because there's quite a bit 
as we're learning about coconut oil and uh, the, the nutrition that comes along in in healthy, I don't want to say healthy fats, but well-made fats. Because mm-hmm. what one person thinks is healthy, I don't. I think lard is a wonderful health food if it's yes, coming <laughs> from from a good yeah. from a good source. It's incredible. Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think that's part of. Uh, part of the, the the treasure of that flavor it's not just spices mm-hmm. it's this mm-hmm. you know this satisfying there's also the sensation of when you're eating something good you know with good butter in it or good lard in it it just yes, it yes, fills you yes. up it's it just yeah. you feel so full with it and i don't mean full right. like bloated but just satisfied satisfied that's satisfied, the word satisfied yes. right and um and that's that's really something that um a lot of people don't understand because that way you actually end up eating a lot less yes and you end up feeling uh, that sense of satiety that you feel really well nourished as opposed to eating something that's very um it could have you know very low fat in it but if it's uh carbohydrate heavy then it upsets your insulin balance it upsets your blood sugar and you end up craving more and more yes um and it's it works against uh at everything you know it's particularly the the energy part yeah, one of there's this project. It's, they call it something like Blue Planet, and it was published in National Geographic a couple of years ago. And what they did is they looked for pockets of population where people regularly lived to a hundred years old. Mm, and okay. California is one with the Seventh Day Adventists. There was a pocket mm-hmm. of people in northern Italy, I think it was, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. And then there was a, the group, the Okinawan, who I think most right. people are kind of aware of. And right. the takeaway from this is, okay, they lived off of plant-based diet. But what what isn't revealed about the traditional Okinawan diet is they fried lots of food in pork lard. <laughs> right? And that's... Right. That's, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and that part just gets kind of left left out. Is the, the inconvenient facts about the the details right. of the cooking get yeah, left out? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. They cherry pick what they want to show. Oh, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's infuriating. Yeah, to yeah me. it is. Um, yeah, and you know, fat is really so important. And you know, I have to share with you that my mother has passed away already, but she grew up. You know, she was born in China, and she actually didn't. She told me she didn't even eat fruit and she, she was almost in her 20s yeah. she ate nothing sweet and but then unfortunately she, she when she came to this country you know she eventually had diabetes because then the carbohydrate it was so carbohydrate laden you know when she came here yes but um she would eat she wouldn't touch a piece of meat if it didn't have fat on it <laughs> and she and she would just like she would just love fat and we would just like we would just her like mom you know like cut the fat already don't you you know it's bad for you and lo and behold you know years later when i went to nutrition school then i knew god you know mom was right all along you shouldn't eat that piece of meat if it doesn't have fat on it right it's the the eskimos had a, a condition that would develop in the spring after they had run through their stores of uh of seal blubber and uh-huh. uh, they, they called it uh, rabbit fever and they would have to. They were surviving on these lean rabbits that would come out in the springtime. And essentially, it's right. a fat. It's a fat deficiency condition. And right. And they would go crazy. Essentially, yeah. just literally go yeah. crazy. The brains yeah. couldn't function properly yeah, exactly. without the fats. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so fat, very important. And also for energy, um, you know, when you look at um, the ATP production, I think fat really gives you more energy per molecule or something than, than carbohydrate or glucose. Right, it's a, it's a slower yeah. burning, mm-hmm. better burning fuel. And it yep. doesn't, you don't get the spikes in insulin, which cause right. all kinds of other inflammation. So if you already have inflammation, the last thing you want is to create other inflammation with your diet. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, and I think also, you know, with, uh, people who are suffering from Lyme's disease, that's the number one thing too. I mean, everything is about, um, keeping the balance, you know, and keeping inflammation at bay. Yes. And thank you for bringing it home because I will, I strayed very far away in this interview because I was, <laughs> just had a great time talking with you. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Please tell everybody before you go, how can people find you, your blog, your recipes, your crowdsource gadget that fits on the top of mason jars? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so my website for the crowdsource device is um, www.crowdsource.com. So K-R-A-U-T-S-O-U-R-C-E.com. Um I have another blog called Karen is Cooking, but that's kind of gone to the wayside because I'm trying to um, put a lot of educational material on crowdsource. And and for those of you who are intimidated, um, you can just go to the website. We have tutorial videos. So, you know, independent of the product, you can just kind of look at the videos and see how easy it is to make yourself um, a little jar of sauerkraut and just start from there. And basically, you know, sauerkraut is just a head of cabbage some good quality sea salt, and you just massage that thing, put it into a jar, keep it submerged, keep it anaerobic, give it a few days, and then you have this, what I call a superfood that's very economical to make. And, and for people who hate cooking, it's not cooking. You don't cook. There's no <laughs> fire involved. <laughs> so you can't use that excuse. <laughs> and if you have children at home, it's great to get them on it, you know, Kids love to get their hands into things, and it's a really fun project for them to watch the transformation as it's fermenting. So, you know, don't think of making sauerkraut as something laborious or scary. Um, and you cannot get botulism. People really confuse this point. When you do canning, and if you can improperly, you get botulism. But with fermentation, because we're looking at a live food, um, the lactic acid is a living product, um, it's not going to have botulism. It kills and, it. It kills um, it off if it's present, right? It kills it yeah. off, yeah. And as far as I know, uh, no one has been seriously made ill by a bad batch of fermented sauerkraut. You know, if you ate it, the the, the rule is if it smells bad don't and it. it's looking soft, well, don't eat it. You know, compost it. Right. But otherwise, you know, you're pretty much good to go. It's, uh, it's not a dangerous proposition to try. And then I think most people end up um, being addicted to it because the flavor is such that it really enhances the other foods that you have with it. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. You're welcome. And when this goes live, I will send you an email uh, and you'll be... You, feel free to use it or not use it in any way that you want. Okay, thank you very much. And you know, um, I did send you a crowdsource, so I think it should be on its way to you. I'm eagerly awaiting it. Okay. And I have to say, you know, I listened to a couple of your podcasts, 
Um, and I love the one with Dr. I think his last name is Edland. Yes. About the circadian rhythm. Yes. That was so informative. I have the book sitting um, by my bedside table. I'm going to read it tonight. Did you buy his book? I did. You know, I listened to it and, and I am just like, oh my gosh, I have to, uh, I have to read more about this. Yeah, he's, he's just absolutely fascinating. He's done a wonderful job. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. So thank you so much for the good work that you do. And then you know, if there's any way that I can support what you do, I mean, I'll, I'll link your website and everything to our Facebook page and everything. You know, just basically, I think um, those of us who are in the right, sort of in the same wavelength, should mm-hmm. should share and support each other. Man, I learned so much from Karen. I love interviewing the Lime experts we have here on Lime Ninja Radio. I always learn so much. Okay, that wraps up this lesson of the masterclass, lesson number two. If you missed the first lesson, go to our website, www.limeninja.com, and there you can find lesson one with Ariane Resnick. And you also now have homework for two lessons. And the bone broth homework from lesson one to help heal your gut, reduce inflammation, boost your immune system, and now begin to make your own fermented foods. We all spend tons of money on probiotics. And I hear so many people complain about how much money they're spending on supplements and visiting LLMDs. Well, here's a way you can really cut back. A good bottle of probiotics can cost anywhere from 20 bucks to 50 bucks. And once you buy a crowdsource, it costs way less than that. You can have an unlimited supply of probiotics. So it's well worth the investment. That wraps up this episode of Lime Ninja Radio. We'll see you in the next few days for lesson three of our masterclass on nutrition and brain health. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.